Good evening. It's good to be here. It's been a little while since I last preached. And God deals with preachers in different ways. I usually find that for me, usually something is placed on my heart before the phone call comes. Something to think about, to pray about, you know, to read up in scripture and references and such. When Brother Brad contacted me, that was not the case. I did not know what I was going to do. And I searched very hard on Saturday. Brad prayed, let my mind drift, right? Let God deal with my mind as he sees fit. And I thought I was going to be preaching on something, but it didn't sit well with me. But every time I would go back to praying and reading, I would come back to it again. But I didn't have that comfort with it or that peace. But this morning when I woke up, something clicked. And you can't explain it. It just happens. Scripture comes into your mind and you know that's it. So I've been very blessed with that today, being able to spend time with the scripture, be able to ponder about it, and um, really God deal with me about it, right? This scripture hits me as hard as probably any that there is, and I find most challenging. So with that being said, I would like for us to go to Romans 7. And we will start with verse 5. If I was to give a title to this sermon, I would just say it's our internal war. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit, fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, worked death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. 
For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is, it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelt no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now I do that I would not. It is more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth within me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law of my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And that's the reading from verse 5 through 25. I apologize for any mispronunciations or misreadings. Um, The reason that this scripture really hits me, there's two parts. And I want to just cover the first part at this point is just the first internal warfare that a person has when they come into knowledge that they're under conviction, right? That they know that they are lost. That if they were to die at that point, that they would go to hell. That's really the first struggle that we have as human beings, right? Is giving of ourselves and realizing that we're not good enough to do something that merits heaven. It is very hard to admit that depending upon who you are. Some people are very stubborn. Some people, they would just admit it immediately as soon as they realize it. And of course, there's also this sin that a person does would cause to create a barrier even further between them and God. For it's much easier for a person to find salvation if they move upon the first convicting power of God and the Holy Spirit in seeking God's face and finding that peace that very first time. Because the longer you wait, the more times you say no, the easier it becomes to say no. And it is hard, very hard to break a habit. Habits develop very easily. I know someone told me at one point about going to church. It takes three weeks to develop a habit to go to church. And it takes three weeks to break it. If you think about that and just how it comes with the person who's, who's lost, Think of all the times that they deny admitting that they're lost. For it's in their best interest 
to let people know so people can pray. They'll be surprised how many people are already praying for them because it is obvious. But to admit something is the first step. To take that first step forward and finding that peace, that overwhelming experience where you know that you've been indelibly touched by God and he's then called son or daughter. So the commandments are good for they point out our sin. But in this, it also talks about how it's the commandment deceived me and slew me. We don't need to fall asleep if we're lost. We're not just should say that everybody else is lost, thus I can be lost. Or my parents are saved, thus I'll be saved. I'm sure I won't be separated from them. But that's none of that is true. None of that is scriptural. When you're lost, you're lost. You have to think what's more important. Whether it's some TV show or talking to a friend of yours or playing on some electronic device. What is the most important thing to you? There's only one question ever asked a person that lasts eternally. And that's salvation. You either get it right with God or you don't. And he will let you know when you don't have it. Because he won't give it to you. And let you know that when he does give it, it may happen in a, in a microsecond or it might be just something that overwhelms you. You never know. Because one of the blessings from doing the book, uh, It Is Well With My Soul, is I get to read a lot of testimonies multiple times. And I'm always amazed at how quickly some found that joy. Then there are others who set some kind of consideration. If this person will come up to me, I'll go down there and pray. But then they pray and they don't find it. And that's because their heart's not in it. It shouldn't be dependent upon something that someone else does. It should be dependent upon God's calling of conviction on you. That is the most powerful Convicting power there is. The Holy Spirit will fall upon them and you will find that peace just praying out to an almighty, powerful God. For there is nothing that we can do to deserve heaven. I tried. I failed miserably. And I consider myself fairly good in the wordsmithing and looking at things and trying to somehow figure a way out. That's part of my job. But when it came to God, there is no way of figuring it out and getting around it. It's simply either you do or you don't. Now, I know there's some people here in the audience who haven't given a testimony. And maybe God is dealing with your heart right now. Because the convicting power of the Holy Spirit happens in amazing ways. But I would tell you that at any time you feel like you must pray either up front or where you're at you will not bother me matter of fact I'll rejoice to know that there's someone who's reaching out to God to find that peace because it is the most important thing 
And as I said, each time you say no, the harder it gets. It's what confuses me sometimes when people, you know, you can, you can, sit, you can see them under conviction. You can see it on their face. I just let you know that you can sometimes see it on their face. And you wonder, why don't they move? Why don't they do something? And maybe it's because they don't want to be the first one to, to do it. Maybe they don't want to come down front. They don't want the attention on themselves. But I'm going to tell you, one attention you want is God. And that is the attention you want and you desperately need, lost soul. Because without that, there's no way to redeem. It comes through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, as I've said. And you should move forward and seek it with all your trust and might. And pray for conviction. I know I've heard people say, pray for it, don't pray for it. I would tell you to pray for it. It doesn't hurt, right? It's asking for something, and even if you don't get it, it doesn't hurt anything. But I'm going to tell you right now, if it does do something, then that's the most important something that's ever happened in your life. I can't fathom a lost soul, especially one that's grown up in church. I I was not a church baby. I didn't grow up in church. Uh, The number of times that before I was convicted by God that I had gone to church was maybe four or five times to a church of Christ in Marietta, Georgia. But when it hit me that I was lost and if I was to die, I would go to hell that captured my mind so steadily because it was such a stark contrast to my idyllic not knowing, not caring, right? Just living life as a young child to the point of knowing I'm lost. And I so desperately seek for answers. I didn't have a church to go to, so it took me a little bit longer than others. But growing up in this church, realize that that does not give you any liberty in seeking God because you're guilty for all are guilty of sin and you so desperately need that savior and if he's calling out please do don't st- don't even think about it just start praying sometimes the quick response is the best response And just pray with all your heart. I know when I prayed for salvation, there were tears. There were words that I'd never heard of before coming out of my mouth. Because I never, I was just praying for salvation. I was praying for that peace to, you know, to take over that emptiness, that, the guilt and the shame. But don't let your personal pride hold you back. Do seek out. In the second half of the scripture that I read, we have Paul speaking about, I do, for what I want to do, I do not. And for that I don't want to do, I do. It's very complicated to read it in the King James because the I and the do are inverted. So it makes it a little challenging. You've got to slow down, really. You've got to slow down and just slowly take the scripture just a little bit at a time. 
But one thing that remarkably stood out to me had nothing to do with the words itself, but the man who wrote them. Paul had internal warfare within himself between good and evil. He faced a challenge that we face today. At least I do. I I face it on a daily basis. It's just like, I know what I should be doing, but I'm not doing it, and I should be not doing this, and I'm doing this. It's exhausting. It really is, the internal fight. But I'd rather have that internal fight than the opposite, where I don't notice anything internally going on with me. Imagine being saved and having not God deal with you or convict you into doing something that you should be doing. State of apathy. So as far as much as the chastisement of my Lord, I count very good. I count very, very good. Because when it's not and you're just left by yourself, have you been discarded, right? Have you been left alone? And I can tell you, you haven't been left alone. God is there always, just waiting, right? But we have to make that move. For if we truly are reached that point where we don't have that convicting power in our lives, we almost have to follow the Psalm 51 and just pray for the renewance of the joy of our salvation. That's the reason I guess I probably enjoy doing the book is because I see salvation on every page. And it brings hope to me to see others have an experience similar to mine and the fact that it was God that gave it to them. And some struggled for years, some did not. Some of them found peace in a church. Others found it in a home or a field. For me personally, it was a, it was a park <laughs> of all things. But that's when it happened, because that's when I had the nerve to ask my good friend, who, who I knew was a Christian, what does it take to be saved? I'm so worried about hell, and this is driving me nuts. It's really perplexing me. Then it was simply just praying to God and finding that peace and pouring out your heart, being sorrowful, contrite, and just keep on praying until you get it, until you get it. Prayer cannot be overrated at all for it's their communication line with God, especially for a person who is lost. I encourage you to talk to God often and frequently because you never know what might happen. So if you're lost, it's properly, it's, it's absolutely proper to pray to an almighty living God. He wants you to talk to him. You see, Jesus Christ came so that all people might be saved. That's John three seventeen. 
So the price has been paid by Jesus Christ, whether you take it or not, whether God imparts it or not. A price has been paid for your sin. So there's nothing you have to bring. There's nothing you could bring except to just humble yourself before an almighty God and pray. One of the things that um, I noticed in the scripture was that the teaching of the commandment is what helped Paul realizing that he was sinful. And the question would be is that do we point out commandments and sin, whether it's something that we've read about, something that was ongoing with ourselves or someone that you've heard of, and try to educate and let the children know more about just how much sin is in their soul. How much is piled up? It's not just one or two. I can say that obey your father and your mother, right, is a commandment. Now, if you're a child, I know that you failed at that at some point. For me, I failed at it at numerous times. But teaching of the commandments and the law is good. It's the reason why Sunday school is so important. Because these kids need to know exactly what, what is sin. So they can understand truly what state they're in. Because if they don't understand the urgency, the depravity of their life, they'll never really truly, with all might and effort, go after and chase God for salvation. One of the things that also came to my mind is how do we strengthen ourselves for this internal warfare? Because we are facing it daily. Of course, there's reading the scripture, memorization of scriptures, locking up in our hearts so that we may not sin. There's prayer to God. active participation in a church with other fellow believers. There's so many things. It'd be hard to name them all. Helping your neighbor, doing something that you would not, but you do because you know it's the right thing to do. Just having a friend that you can talk to, right? A mentor. Someone who's experienced life more fully. Mentorship is one of those things they push on at work. They want everybody to have a mentorship, even if you're in the 50-plus category. I find it a little bit humiliating, to tell you the truth, that I have a mentor who sits above me in the rank of where I'm at. And it's a kid that's probably early 30s, maybe mid-30s, giving me advice. And I'm going like, uh, 
been there, done that. Um, but there's always that time where they'll bring up something that's part of the company culture that I don't realize because they have experience due to their rank outside with many different people and they notice common traits. So it is with a mentor. And I'd encourage you to find someone that you can talk to. One of the things that came to mind is the Holy Spirit. Part of the Godhead. We don't talk about it much, the Holy Spirit, in comparison to God and Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ told us that, he would, that there would be one to come down and comfort us, to help us. Do we truly realize that we do have the Holy Spirit that can help us? Do we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit day in, day out? I'm a remindful of a friend at Georgia Tech who was my roommate. And he was probably one of the happy Christians I've ever seen. He just, he was just happy. Played a guitar and was very happy. He was there on Presidential Scholar. And so, of course, what took me two or three hours, it only took him about five minutes, which was infuriating a little bit. But one of the things that he told me, because we would go to Bible studies, small Bible studies throughout the campus throughout the week, he said something that was really marvelously insighted, which I never thought about. He gave the analogy of a cup and says everybody has a cup. It may be thimble, it may be gigantic, but everybody has a cup. In that cup, the Holy Spirit gets fed into And that's how much Holy Spirit you have. Of course, you want your cup to be as large as possible because you want as much of the Holy Spirit as that you can have so you can face the situations that trouble you and cause problems for that internal fight. But you also want it filled to the rim, too. That's the reason why us, as far as studying Scripture, is so important. Meditating on God's Word. Action. Doing something. Uh, just like Brother Brad praying for that, praying for, uh, for seven years for something and seeing it happen, right? And realizing that prayer is just so important and real. We should always try to do something to help. It was part of the Sunday school lesson this morning, as far as charity. To reach out and help those in last need, both within the church and without. Our lives are very complex in this country because we have every device known to man that can distract us. We have 500 channels of television program which to distract us. 
a lot of things come to our way that really the only thing we can do is pray instead of fret over it. But I wonder, what would our Christian lives look like if we were in a situation where we did not have all of these luxuries, the comfort of our country, and we're in a situation where you're fighting for food for the next day? You don't know where your next meal's coming from. You don't know there's people that are stealing things and safety or even persecution just because you're a Christian. How different would our lives be? And tell you the truth, I can't fathom what my life would be. I'm thankful for the station I'm at. But shouldn't we have that appreciation of Christ and the blessings just as much as someone who is in that situation? Are we truly thankful? I've heard some prayers before is just thank, thank you for blessing our family or thank you for everything you do. Sometimes it's good to go below that and actually name them off. For we truly are blessed in this country. One of the things I've found out about this internal warfare is the more that I try to strive to do good, the more evil is chasing me. And that is buried out here in the, in the scriptures. And... Trials and tribulations are always tough. Always. Because they wouldn't be a trial or a tribulation if you could just easily dismiss it or solve it right away. I know in scripture it says that it makes your, it just improves the um, character fiber, you know, make you refine just gold. Um, <coughs> give you strength and patience and such. I don't like trials and tribulations, just to be frankly honest. I avoid conflict as much as anybody, probably. But there's times where conflict, where trials are going to happen, no matter how hard we try to run from them. And they may persist for a long time. The trial might last a lifetime. And I find just simply just praying to God and just saying, help me. Because I do face a trial that's long term. And there's nothing I can do about it. Except pray. And just carry on another day.
So as I said, this scripture is probably the most challenging one to me, not only to read, but to understand and to apply and understand that even though I don't want to sin because of my carnal nature, I'm going to sin. Hopefully not often. Hopefully, you know, I haven't made it today yet, but we shouldn't beat ourselves up because actually, because if we're doing so much good for God and our Lord Jesus Christ, our precision of seeing things just gets that more granular to where you catch things that, you know, you never thought of before that was a sin or, or, you know, it was like, I really shouldn't be doing that. Before I moved up to Bowling Green with my wife and my daughter, I have never hunted before. So for 12 years, my father-in-law very graciously and patiently has taken me out hunting for deer. I bought my first rifle, and I learned what the purpose of a scope is. As we get closer and closer into what we're trying to do, the more things we're going to see around it, because it gets finer in our scope, we can see it, we're right on top of it. I learned that shooting a deer at a 10, which is the least magnification on my rifle, is never a good thing. It's basically tossing bullets. That I'd rather have it at a three or two or even best yet a one so that way I can precisionally point what I'm doing at the specific spot that I want to shoot. Though I see a lot of other things and clutter and start worrying about if they move, maybe they breathe, maybe they jump away. You know, I, I've got more information. I'm doing something at a finer point. And as we do something at a finer point for God, we can see those tangible results directly. There's no doubting. It. It's not like a scattered shot. But it's pinpoint where you're doing something specific, whether it be in prayer or action. And with precision... God truly does shine out, as Brother Brad mentioned earlier today. To see something takes a long time. To hunt deer, you've got to be very patient, which is not one of my qualities either. Somehow I've learned it while hunting. It's taken a few years. But it's worth the wait for us to do it right and not worry about all the other things that are going on around us that would try to distract us. Because we want to make the largest impact that we can through the leadership of Lord Jesus Christ. And I finish in conclusion with another scripture. It talks about how Jesus walks before us into good good works. Jesus walks in front of us unto good works. From James, 
how great a, a knowledge that is. We're not out there by ourselves. We have the almighty Lord Jesus Christ right there helping us, walking not beside us, but in front of us. We shouldn't have to worry about the wiles of the world and all the things that would tell you that this is going to come back to haunt you or shine a light on you or do something negative. But have confidence and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to action, not to inaction. We are here to do his will, for we are his. Is there a word on anybody's heart this evening?